Our fourth podcast falls on April the 23rd, Shakespeare's birthday and World Book Day in the UK, and it features a conversation between the actress Judi Dench and the theatre and film director Richard Eyre, an old and dear friend of hers. They came together in Hay on Wye in 2014, the 450th anniversary of Shakespeare's birth, to celebrate the launch of an album of Shakespearean speeches that she'd put together called Exits and Entrances. We're going to hear four clips from their conversation. The first one introduces her reading of Titania in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and what follows is an extraordinarily uh, inspiring and illuminating conversation about how to learn to speak Shakespearean iambic pentameter. It's an absolute must for anyone who has ever wanted to be an actor or who knows anyone who might now want to be an actor. Just listen to this. My first theatrical experience, in fact, my only, until I was about 15, was seeing, was being in, uh, playing Peas Blossom in Midsummer Night's Dream. And, uh, and there was a donkey in the field next door that wanted very badly to be in the play because it was obviously jealous of, of Bottom. And, uh, and disrupted the play, much to the delight of the actors, who were all, you know, <laughs> five or six years old. But I think you, you had a happy experience, because at school you played Titania, didn't you? Yes, Titania. And actually, I saw you play Titania four, five years ago. You did. I've, I've done it four times. Five times, I think, the play. Film, play, Stratford, The Vic. I, I, can do, I could do the whole whole play for you now. Right. right um, well, we've got a... I could play all the parts. Could, um, can you do a bit of Titania for us? I'll try. Yep. And if Don't I ask try, me to somebody prompt else you. Can, what? Don't ask me to prompt you. No, but somebody can prompt me if I I'm try. I'm sure they can. Um, these are the forgeries of jealousy. And ever since the middle summer spring, met we on hill and dale, forest or mead, by paved fountain or by rushy brook, or by the beached margins of the sea, to dance our ringlets to the whistling wind. But with thy brawls thou hast disturbed our sport. Therefore the winds, piping to us in vain, as in revenge, have sucked up from the sea contagious fogs, which falling in the land have every pelting river made so proud that they have overborne their continents. The ox hath therefore stretched his yoke in vain. The ploughman lost his sweat, and the green corn hath rotted ere his youth attained a beard. The fold stands empty in the drowned field, and crows are fatted with the Murrian flock. The nine men's morris is filled up with mud, and the quaint mazes in the wanton green for lack of tread are indistinguishable. The human mortals want their winter here. No night is now with him or Carol blessed. Therefore the moon, the governess of floods, pale in her anger, washes all the air that rheumatic diseases do abound. And thorough this distemperature we see the seasons alter Hoary-headed frosts fall in the fresh lap of the crimson rose, and on old Hyam's thin and icy crown, a and on old Hyam's thin and icy crown, 
a something chaplet of sweet summer buds is as in mockery set. The spring, the summer, the childing autumn, angry winter change their wonted liveries. And the mazed world by their increase now knows not which is which. And this same progeny of evils comes from our debate, from our dissension. We are their parents and original. It's good, it's good for warming, isn't it? Climate, change climate. <laughs> yeah. You're just too fastidious, because if you'd substituted any two-syllable word beginning with C, <laughs> nobody would have worried. <laughs> That's what I think Sir Ralph used to do, isn't it? Yes. He used to say, the quality of that is not strained. <laughs> nobody, nobody knows and, it wasn't um, mercy. John, John Gielgud said to me, I said to him, you know, you're so wonderful, I learnt to understand Shakespeare by listening to you on the radio. He said, oh, most of the time I didn't understand a single word. <laughs> I just followed the sound of it. <laughs> but but what heavenly. fascinates me is how, how did you know, how did you learn? It's like, it's like you have a sense of poetry that is, is innate, that it's, it's like a, a, a natural musician. Did you always no, know? I don't think so. I think I was taught that. Taught by? by... Peter Hall and John Barton and Trevor Nunn and you, I, all, the people I work, all the people I worked with. And I Peter, when he, when he, yes, it's true, Rich. And, and when he, when Peter Hall um, directs, he stands at a lectern and he, and you'd be rehearsing in front of him and he would be looking at the lectern and he would beat out the meter. I have to tell you, can I tell you a very quick yeah. story about Anthony and Cleopatra when he was trying to get the meter of her death, right, with um, Miranda Richardson and Helen Fitzgerald, and he, and he was trying to say, uh, oh, alas, alas, our noble lady's dead. And then it goes on and on like that. And we couldn't, it was only meant to be called for an hour and a half. It went on the whole morning, and I was lying there like this, pretending to be dead. And eventually he said, alas, alas, our noble lady's murdered. <laughs> and there was a pause, and he said, thank Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so it was drummed into yeah. you, you see, early, drummed but, uh, into you really well. I would say that the opposite was true, that Peter learnt from you. That you had an innate sense of musicality, innate sense of, of rhythm, and that you're like all the best actors of Shakespeare, you're like a, a jazz singer. You move, you know, you sing... Oh, I a, wish I was a jazz singer. Well, you sing across, you know, you speak I across see. the bar lines. You see that you don't... Uh, somebody who can't sing jazz, sing, uh, uh, whereas you're all, all over, you, and yet you finish within the phrase. It's just the phrasing within the sort of eight-bar figure is, is all your own. And well, Sir John used to do that, didn't he? Sir John uh, used to present the whole thing as an arc. I used to, I've often said to young students, uh, what you, if you want to speak Shakespeare and learn about as making a speech, you should listen to John Gielgud and Frank Sinatra, because Frank Sinatra presents you with the entire song. There's no spending too long on the beat, you know, and also if you look at and you yeah. learn in the script, you know that 
where y you must obey the, the um, what's that word called? Well, line endings. Yes, no. line endings. You no. know, if you get a half line, when you see the script and you get a half line, and then the next person starts with another half line, that is all one line. If, on the other hand, you get a half line and the next person speaks with another half line underneath it, you know that in this pause to complete the line, something happens. And, and it's absolutely invariable. It that is. Rule. And it's so simple. And it's so shocking that the teaching... I mean, we've, we moan about it occasionally, that young actors now have a very, very difficult time because they don't get taught the rudiments of, of speaking verse. And so they try and pull it around and make it naturalistic and not see that actually you can just be truthful and naturalistic as you can with a song within a specific time signature. You can be much more colloquial and naturalistic if you obey what he tells you and you also will never run out of breath. Yes. Because he gives you a place to take the breath. The second clip has Dame Judy performing Cleopatra's beautiful elegy for her dead lover, Mark Antony, and also introduces a couple of delightful reminiscences of working with her co-stars in that celebrated National Theatre production of Antony and Cleopatra. Cleopatra, I remember you saying to me, uh, one of the reasons you wanted to do that part was because everyone said, Judy Dent, she can't do Cleopatra. They just laughed when it was announced. They just laughed. And she's meant to be a very, very tall girl, I think. <laughs> uh, and it was, I mean, it's the challenge of that part is considerable. You know, it's an enormous part. In fact, in the, um, what's that thing called that they're all shut up in, beginning with M? Oh, the monument. <laughs> yes, yes, the monument. <laughs> in the monument, when over the death of Antony, yeah. Tony Hopkins, he was, I am dying, Egypt, and he was lying in my arms. And, and then he'd say to me, I'm off for a nice cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While you do the whole of Act Five. <laughs> and... and um, Meanwhile, the great Michael Bryant was trying to distract you off stage during your <laughs> finer moments. Yes, I'm afraid he was. Yeah. We can't tell that here, can we? No, we can't, but <laughs> you'll have to imagine. <coughs> um, Jude, it, it's, uh, it is one of my... I, I mentioned this at Michael Bryant's funeral, actually, with um, what he'd done. I mean, let's face it, he was just exposing himself in the wings. When, he was, yes. <laughs> when Judy was trying to do Cleopatra. Only because I was made a dame during it. it yes. It was the moment I was made a dame, it all changed. <laughs> um, it is one of the great performances. I mean, I, I'd say of the two or three best Shakespeare performances I've ever seen was your Cleopatra. And... Um, I never expected to be moved as I was by that play. Um, and I'm going to ask you to do a speech and enlist Ben <laughs> once more to do... Good sport. Support. 
Should we stand up for Can this? Can we stand? What do you think? I just, I'm worried about the height difference. <laughs> I should really oh, be... Oh, I see. Let's I sit down. <laughs> <coughs> I may not remember all this. <clears throat> Bear with me if I don't. And I know that I dried on a word in its rosy chaplet of sweet summer buds oh, that I dried that. on. Thank there. God for that. <clears throat> I dreamt there was an emperor, Antony. Oh, such another sleep that I might see, but such another man. His face was as the heavens, and therein stuck a sun and moon, which kept their course and lighted the little O, the earth. His legs bestrid the ocean. His reared arm crested the world. His voice was propertied as all the tuned spheres, and that to friends. But when he meant to quail and shake the orb, he was as rattling thunder. For his bounty, there was no winter int. An autumn twas that grew the more by reaping. His delights were dolphin-like. They showed his back above the element they lived in. In his livery walked crowns and crownets. Realms and islands were as plates dropped from his pocket. Think you there was or might be such a man as this I speak of? Gentle madam, no. You lie up to the hearing of the gods. But if there were, nor ever were one such, it's past the size of dreaming. Thanks. Special prize for anyone who recognised the uh, volunteer member of the audience who was helping out on stage there as Benedict Cumberbatch. The third clip, Although this is a Shakespeare session, uh, is such a delightful movie story that uh, I really wanted to include it in this podcast. Uh, can I tell you a very quickly funny story about Peter and Alice, which is a play I did last year, um, by John Logan, who wrote the script for Skyfall, Bond film. And during the first two weeks of rehearsal, I must... He was sitting there with Michael Grandage, who was directing, and I must have gone up to him and said, sorry, I have to stop for a minute. I have to ask you something, John. So I would ask him so many questions. After about the 60th question, in about five days, he sat back and he said, you see why I killed you off in Skyfall, don't you? <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. <laughs> the final clip starts with Dame Judy responding to a request from a member of the audience to uh, spin another anecdote about mischief-making on the set of Mrs Brown with Billy Connolly. And it leads to a performance of Shakespeare's most beautiful sonnet with which she closed the gig in Hay. It was one of the most magical moments of the last 35 years. That wasn't me, that was the horse. 
That was when we were at Osborne, making um, Mrs. Brown. Uh, they brought this wonderful grey pony, and they bought it for me. And, and, and I've been practising a lot to, to ride side saddle. But then, of course, I was in... Then, I mean, I was in just like this, practising. And when it came to it, I was in corset, an enormous skirt and all that, and had to get on this. This horse used to go... <sighs> just to go. And then, and then we had to exit down this long drive um, and Billy walking beside me with it. And as we walked, the horse farted the whole way down the drive. <laughs> and... I thought it was Billy, and he thought it was me. <laughs> if you look very carefully, uh, I think you can see heaving shoulders in that show. <laughs> um, on that note, I'm... <laughs> I'm going to ask Judy to recite my favourite sonnet. Judy. Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love which alters when its alteration finds or bends with a remover to remove. Oh, no. It is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken. Love's not time's fool, though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. Thank you for listening to this podcast, which is brought to you by the Hay Festival and Bailey Gifford Investment Managers. There are thousands more recordings in both audio and video on Hay Player on our website. And do please look out for news about the digital festival we'll be bringing you this May during the COVID-19 lockdown.